This is Coda Radio, episode 459 for March 28, 2022. Hey there, good looking. You look great today. <laughs> and welcome wow. into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. And take it to the face like a pro. It's our very own Chris Rock, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. <laughs> Does that make you Will Smith? Is that <laughs> I guess, yeah. Or the audience, maybe. I was kind of picturing the feedback sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is going to be a bad one. <laughs> I know, I've already messed it all up. If that man can uh, take a slap to the face like that and then keep on rolling with the Oscars hosting, the least I can do is do a podcast, you know? It's inspiration. I also feel like Chris Rock has been slapped before. I feel like the level of professionalism, that's only gained by experience. You've normalized the slap a little bit. Yeah. It may not be the most significant slap he's gotten even, right? We just, I'm just saying, no, no disrespect to Will Smith. The other thing that was notable is that he and I both had the same reaction because I was thinking in my head at the same time that Chris Rock said it out loud. He says, he says, well, that was just the best night in television, which is exactly yeah. what I was thinking he, at that moment. He's like, well, this is great for me. Professional right there. That is uh, absolutely a professional. Also, there's, there's I don't know why why we're talking about 90s uh, pop icons, but I've, we've gone back. That's why. Uh, isn't Will Smith still into the whole like, you know, what uh, Bill Bill Cosby was doing, right? Like, boys, pick up your pants, all that kind of stuff. We don't uh, criticize or talk about that. I mean, come on. All we do is focus on what a professional Chris Rock is, and we don't talk about the other part. Haven't you gotten the memo? Yes, but he, he lectures particularly young people about these things and then just, like, walks up and, like, smacks a dude. That's the, that is the irony. I'm just saying, right? Like, also, is this, like, Paris? You know, they used to slap each other with a little white glove on the odd, but then somebody oh, got shot. I'm just saying. How dare. Yeah. It's very strange. I, I, you know, when I first, uh, I don't watch that stuff because I. Literally anything else to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was scooping a cat box or something. I don't know. But I didn't believe it until this morning when people started rage tweeting about it. You know, it's because he made, he made Rock made a joke that was taking like a disease that Smith's wife has. And yeah, yeah, it's just, that's like you just don't go there. Just don't do that. I, I see. I don't follow the whole celebrity thing. I don't know what. It, yeah, you know what we do follow though. Revolution OS. That's true. Mike and I both watched Revolution OS before the show. We do have thoughts. We have feelings. We also have feedback. Instagram and some boosts, of course. Uh, we got one from Cost Five Thousand Sats. He said, uh, "I work at a large international healthcare company." And Koss was responding to a comment that you made about how work from home for some companies has led to cameras on. But I think Koss likes it. He says cameras on in meetings meant that everyone is sort of on the same level. It levels everything out. Everybody that's working from home has the same issue that people at the office have. And we did get another boost that said, you know, what happens is the people who get to work from home end up being like a different class than the people that have to go into the office. Mm -hmm. And so Koss says the video camera on all the time levels the playing field, which I'm still not comfortable with, but it it was at least a different perspective that I thought was worth considering. Sounds still too creepy. Something, I don't know, something about a camera being on and the automated nature of that surveillance versus being in a cubicle where somebody has to walk over to see what I'm doing, although they're probably monitoring the software. I, I don't know. 
What are your thoughts? You know, I don't like the camera on thing. It feels for, you know, this is a technical term, icky. But, you know, if you have an Alexa in your house, <laughs> it's some hardcore surveillance right there. That's true. You know, I think the thing that I realized, part of what works for me about working from home is that I can be a slob. I could be in my pajamas. I, you know, if I want to be, you know, uh, wearing a special hat that makes me feel like the best writer ever, I can do that, right? I can do whatever weird quirk that is not maybe something I want seen by others to do. And when you turn the camera on, I kind of lose that benefit. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Boost. X Thumbs boosted us and said, thanks for the perspective on restricting free internet and open source in Russia. It's easy to get wrapped up in the sanctions fever and it was very helpful for me to reset my own perspective. Free access to non-state sponsored info is powerful and should really be the goal in this situation. That's great. We had gotten some pushback on from the other direction too. So I think it's nice to see both sides of that. And then the last boost that came in was from the one keep up the great work. Uh, even though you guys are becoming cranky old libertarians or whatever it is people are calling you, you are 100% right that lightning and that technology is going to be the future of funding open podcasts and software. It's funny because we have been joking about how some people are calling us libertarians. People say, oh, you guys are right wing. And then, of course, every now and then we get the random person that says that uh, we're left wing. So you get it from all sides when you do a show like this, because whoever is listening, you're to whatever side they, you know, it's 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 all a matter of perspective. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's whatever particular, uh, you know, wound you're hitting on them at the day. Yeah, exactly. That is so much it. All right. So Egon rolls out some sage wisdom, writes in, he says, hi, Mike and Chris. He's back. If you had Egon on your Coda Radio bingo board, go ahead, cross it off. So he's got some tips for us. I wonder if I want to read this. Yeah, okay. He says, okay, here's what he says. <laughs> uh oh, I did not read this one. He says, even if, even, even if this will come as a shock to the Republican at heart Florida man, <laughs> we should all work. See, I see one guy said you're libertarian. This one, you're Republican at heart. We should all work to live and not live to work. And when he was referring to uh, the lifestyle business discussion that we had, uh, mm -hmm. I, I think we probably agree with that. And finally, as in with any relationship, whether you're hitting on a woman in a bar or a new client that you want to work with, set correct expectations early. I don't want to be called by clients at the night on night times or weekends. If coming out as a lifestyle business helps that client understand that, then maybe that's actually a good thing. Keep up the excellent work. You turn my commutes into joy rides. <laughs> so he's got a, he's got an interesting point here. Egon's saying, like, if you embrace the lifestyle business business and you even tell your clients about it, you may actually set the correct expectations. That way they're not pestering you at weird hours. Do you think you would also lose the sale? That's what I would be worried about. I, I think there's some chance to lose the sale. But also, why can't we hit on the clients? I'm just saying, Egon, you've got everybody else in there. You got to go for it. Oh, man. You see, you're always thinking next level. Big picture, guys. I'm always, I'm always taking it. You know, I'm like, I'm all web three these days. I'm taking it. You know, it's, it's Adam Newman level thinking now. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, Egon. Keep it up. All right. Lars wrote in, and it's a long one, so I'm going to try to summarize it. But uh, we were talking about the, uh, they call it the Digital Services Act. Uh, and it's it's happening in the EU. It's not happening here. And this is the one we were talking about that would force sideloading. Well, Lars points out that it's actually even way more than that because it has, like any good piece of uh, legislation or bureaucratic uh, creation, it has sub-bills and like sub-parts to it. And of course, I'm probably mixing some of the terminology here, but 
It has a section on message interoperability that forces messengers such as WhatsApp and iMessage to allow the sending of messages to users on other services. It has a private API provision, and it, they write in here that, quote, gatekeepers sometimes play a dual role and favor their own services, leading to the exclusion of business users who are dependent on them to reach customers. This reduces choice for business and potentially undermines the quality of services and decreases prices for consumers. It goes into some detail about how there'll have to be a change in the way that they rank their own stuff, perhaps opening up some of these APIs. I mean, it's massive, man. It's way more than just sideloading. It cuts into a lot of things that these platforms use as their moats. I don't really know. I, I don't follow this stuff over there closely enough to know what chances are of this passing, but it feels like it's got more momentum than most of these things. Yeah, I just, I, I don't believe it's not going to get, you know, sanded down by the power of lobbyists and just every white shoe law firm, I guess, in Europe in this case. You know, I, I will say that they're talking real tough, the regulators. Yeah, talk is cheap, right? I, <sighs> right. Almost kind of like a negotiation tactic. I am skeptical. This is the problem. We're not European, right? We don't really know how it works. But like in the U.S., the, when the federal government's like, we're going to come after your business, you can do what's called the consent decree, which is basically a negotiated. It's effectively a plea, right? In, in criminal parlance. Not a lawyer. Don't take legal advice from me. But I don't know. Facebook. Remember, Facebook had a consent decree in 2012 and was like, we just did it anyway, right? They just kept doing what they were doing. And then they paid, what, a $5 billion fine? And we laughed about it. And uh, really, it's a sucky boy who's still laughing. So, <laughs> you know, we're going to get to it. But watching Revolution OS actually made me sad. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I, I, I will turn that frown upside down when we get All right. to it. Because right. listening to it made me feel like maybe there's some there's some positives out there. Are you saying there's a new hope? Yeah, you just might. You might call it that. A new rebel alliance is forming. <laughs> Lars also pointed out Podlove, which is a great way to do your own uh, decentralized podcasting built into WordPress. And yeah, Podlove has a great reputation in the community. So David writes in. And he wants to vent. He is stuck in outage hell. He says, I work for a very, very large, very old non-tech company. And they've just recently fully bought into GitHub with Azure and tons of other Microsoft offerings. We've been using several GitHub services, hosting, actions, etc. for over a year now. And things have been generally pretty good. It's a huge improvement over our previous solution, which was for each team to choose their own SEM or CICD tools maybe not even use any at all. <laughs> he goes on to say, from last Thursday, however, things got rough. From last Thursday to yesterday, GitHub had been very unreliable. The CICD service, GitHub Actions, all were effectively offline for four business days. Even some basic Git operations, pushing and pulling commits and branches, was frequently unavailable. And I'm not sure things are completely out of the weeds yet either, because now they're warning about scheduled maintenance downtime, and migrations. It sounds like they're expecting more outages, but now we're just trying to project that they're in control of the situation. And I've been using Git for longer than pretty much anyone here, and I understand the difference. Git is, by design, a decentralized source control management system. So he says, of course, now here we are using GitHub, centralizing all of it. I've been trying to explain to my company that given the recent outages, perhaps we should begin looking at hosting some of these things, like GitLab, or maybe even considering Bitbucket. But even the developers seem to have a hard time comprehending the distinction between Git and GitHub. 
Microsoft and all these other companies have so successfully conflated the two in the minds of most businesses, and it's a real struggle to describe how it actually all works and why we don't actually have to use GitHub to use Git. Not only is it difficult to communicate these technical realities, especially to business folks, but people also seem to get very uncomfortable when they're asked to consider that they may need to think about solving problems without Microsoft's help. Maybe it's just my company, but Microsoft has succeeded in creating an ethos of dependency for their customers. Oof, he says, between starting this message and ending it, GitHub Actions has gone offline yet again. And he's frustrated. And I get it, because I think from the business standpoint, they look at this and go, it's still worth the overall cost, even the downtime. It's easier for them. I mean, there's a lot here, right? I like hosting my own GitLab because it's a more sane way to do things. I briefly had a pretty recent dalliance with GitHub Enterprise. It's fine. I mean, some of the flashier features are super cool. You know, I can, I can kind of see his coworkers sense though, right? Because it's one less thing they have to worry about. And we GitHub's down, they just throw their hands up and it's like Microsoft's problem. Nothing you can do. Nothing you can do, but mm, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of with David on this. I love my self-hosted GitLab. It's fine. It does what I need to do. Now, granted, I don't use many of the GitLab features. I use it as just like a Git remote, which is great because uh, you're avoiding some of that lock-in that he's talking about because, you know, it's just a Git repo that I could push to like Git-T or GitHub or Bitbucket or any of the other solutions or indeed another self-hosted Git service, right? You know what I used to do back in these situations? And maybe you get in trouble for this now, is I'd basically set up a virtual environment demo, build what I was talking about, and then demonstrate the value. And, you know, with Git, this would be pretty easy. You could basically set up when things are up a mere copy. And then when things go down, be like, hey, look what I got. I mean, maybe that's not the right solution, but it's something to consider. I think the challenge is going to be all if they're that deep into the GitHub. It's like it's almost like the AWS problem. If you're using like the proprietary stuff, you know, like AWS I don't remember what we call them, but the, uh, you know, the functional stuff, the, whatever, Lambda, is that what AWS calls it? <laughs> it all runs together, doesn't it? It's, it's all like a blur for me. They just make up these names and then you're supposed to remember all of it. Right. Well, the, like the GitHub Actions, he would have to re-implement somehow. And that's kind of how they get you, right? You, you use their proprietary convenience methods, uh, using method very loosely, right? It's, you know, there's a million things. And it's hard to get out of, especially if his company is so deep into GitHub. Maybe they're, are they using the GitHub uh, project planning and project management tools? Because those are completely proprietary, right? Those, those are part of GitHub. So there, there's there's quite a few uh, quite a few hooks to lock you in on GitHub. And I'm not saying GitHub is bad. It's actually a great platform. Yeah, and Microsoft's got a really competent sales channel for businesses as well, right? So they're having these conversations at higher levels than probably most of the staff is working at. You know, they're, they're talking to CTO and stuff like that. So that's another area where Microsoft can really be competitive and uh, almost create a counter narrative, you know, that you have to then kind of answer for. At least that was my experience. All right, we got one more, one more message. Uh, this is just a quick one from Harold. Something new is brewing, a successor to brew from the original author of the brew package manager. It's called T at T.xyz. So uh, I guess people are getting unhappy with brew. I'm not really hip to the brew crowd, but uh, I'm checking it. Out. I'm going to check it out. So it's T 
t.xyz. So, and it, it, it pitches itself as a, yeah, as a new package manager. I wonder if it has as many packages. Would you, would you give it a go or are you, what, what would it take? I guess that's the question. What would it take to give up brew? Well, would it take a, a better solution and it would probably have to coincide with me getting a new machine? Yeah, right, right. I don't know. It's, I mean, T, so T has some interesting things. It's supposedly going to be cross-platform, which means theoretically you could use it both for your, your Mac development station and your, um, your CI environment, which presumably is like Debian or something, right? Like I, I see the brew hate on Twitter, like the criticisms of it. I don't think brew is that bad. I mean, it's not any more, I don't know, finicky than apt. It's fine. It's setting it up initially is kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, so I guess, you know, the Linux package managers definitely have it there, but I, I would take brew over Mac ports any day, <laughs> which I do, right? So. Yeah, I wonder if I were going to switch from Brew at this point, you'd have to seriously consider looking at Nix on macOS as well, because Nix is the package management system for Nix OS, and you can use Nix on ARM Linux distros, Intel Linux distros, Mac OS, Windows. It's already cross OS, cross platform, so that'd be tempting. And the Nix, the Nix community is getting bigger and bigger, uh, as you can probably tell. I've recently started digging into Nix OS, so now you're going to hear me talk about it all the time. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize in advance, but I think I agree with you. If I would either be switching to a new machine or maybe for a new setup for a new project, if you didn't have Ruby or, or Python installed on your Mac and you're going to get it installed for the first time. Yeah, well, that's like the new machine scenario, right? Ultimately, one of, I think, especially if you're a newer developer, most of the tutorials you're going to read when you click I'm using a Mac are going to give you homebrew instructions. Not T, not Nix. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's got such momentum in the community. That's my word today. It's got a lot of support in the community. And, you know, like what Jimmy is asking in the chat room, like, I just got a Mac. I just installed Brew. What's so bad about it? I don't know. I mean, I, I know people have had it break on them. I know it's not the fastest package manager out there. But, I mean, it doesn't seem any worse than Apt, if you ask me. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the problems with Brew, is it, the Apt's comparison, I think, is really, really uh, prescient because... You know, when does app decide it wants to kill itself? Well, one, you're you're the host of Linus Text Tips and it just commits to Puku. That's a different problem. Two, you've upgraded Ubuntu too many times, right? You've done too many point upgrades. It gets confused. And I would say Brew has that same problem on Mac. It's a little more dramatic on Mac because Apple's, especially in the last, I would say, year and a half, has moved a lot of the uh, kind of the Unixy underpinnings reasons the other thing is when you do a major xcode update that can sometimes cause you a headache but i don't know i mean i i the worst time i have with brew is managing node but like nodes a show because of node right because of npm it's a show on linux too so i i'm kind <laughs> of i'm kind of like brew's fine i mean if t is better i would obviously use it i have no you know best tool for the job right there's your bingo card don't you don't use mac ports though it's my experience with brew breaking has really only been an issue when I've been upgrading macOS. Especially the last, like, one edition, they've removed OpenSSL and they, like, killed the, the version one of it because of that security exploit. But a lot of the brew uh, cask packages, right, expected it to be there and it wasn't. So there's all kinds of crap like that. But <laughs> All right. Thank you for sending that in, coder.show slash contact. Or you can send us a boost. Four score and seven boosts to go. You can get a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com and just get one that supports Boost. And that's a message you can send into the show 
with a little bit of value attached to it as well. And I also want to mention that we have our East Coast meetup, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting for the deets. It's going to be April 9th, just outside of Raleigh, North Carolina at a park with a barbecue and a brewery. But we do need to give both the barbecue and the brewery some numbers. So please do sign up at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. It's coming up very soon. I'm getting very excited about it. I tried to get the word out there as soon as possible because one of the things that I am always told at these meetups by like the majority of people there is, oh yeah, I found out about this meetup just at the last minute because I'm usually about two, three weeks behind. So I've been trying to get the word out there for a while. So if you've missed it, this was me giving it my best. (laughs) So maybe if you just follow us on the meetup page, then you'll find out about these things. That's the pro tip right there. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support this here show. Yeah, this show is made possible by you taking advantage of our sponsor's offer, and Linode is one that we can enthusiastically endorse. They started in 2003 as one of the very first companies in cloud computing. And now, nearly 19 years later, they have built out a massive network, 11 global data centers, over a million customers and businesses around the globe. And Linode's mission remains unchanged since the day it began. Make cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible to all. I've just recently been toying around with a new WordPress rebuild. Sometimes, you know, sometimes WordPress is the right solution. It's not always my first solution, but sometimes it is the right solution. And you should check out Linode's options because they have a set of stack scripts and images that you can one-click deploy. And one of the setups that I've experimented with in the past and I'm going to use for this small site is actually sitting on top of Open Lightspeed, which is a blazing fast open source alternative to a standard WordPress setup. And it makes WordPress screaming fast, like it's a static website. And then, of course, when you're using Linode's infrastructure, everything's fast. They have NVMe PCIe storage if you need it. They've got AMD Epic processors if that's your speed. And they can make things really go fast. But the nice thing about like that light speed setup with WordPress is even their most economical machine, you're still going to be impressed by the performance. And with $100, you can really try different setups and see what works for you. Linode has just been the best. We've been using it for over two and a half years, and that's what I deploy everything on. And I can easily recommend it to you, too. Go get started. Go see what I've been talking about. Go try it for yourself. And take advantage of our $100 offer by deploying one of Linode's many ready-to-go deployments. That's linode.com slash coder. I have been thinking about this episode and only this show and this episode all week to like serious detriment to my prep for the other shows. I really had to force myself to focus. Suck on that. Stoked, stoked. I forgot the name of the Star Trek show. Damn it. (laughs) You, You got it. This is what I get for following you on Twitter. I open up my Twitter feed and there's a mic bomb in there and you write... I've broken down and I'm going to use hashtag blockchain for something. I got to get the hashtag in there. Here's my obligatory hashtag Web3 tweet. Yes. <laughs> I love how you get both of them. Trolling aside, I'm excited. Uh, it's actually a great practical solution for a, a real world problem my customers face. I can see it now. Wow. 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 First of all, this is incredible because like three months ago, you and I came down so hard on Web3 that uh, I, I think we left a dent in the ground. It was it was rough. Yeah, we, we, were, we were hating pretty hard. Yeah, We Superman slammed it. Well, Web3 was like, you know, Chris Roth's face. Oh, sorry. <laughs> right. 
was interesting is that since that episode, I have been reading a lot. I've been looking at the different popular blockchain technologies, seeing if there if there's been any real apps that have actually been built, if there's any real world use cases for this stuff. I've been looking at like how power efficient the different blockchains are and what solutions exist now to solve Bitcoin's proof of work power consumption. And like I've really gone into the deep end of what the different SDKs offer, what languages the blockchains are written in, uh, the community strength, the founders, the people behind them, how they got their funding, who the VCs got their funding from. I mean, I went deep. So uh, today I am uh, your voluntary chief blockchain technology officer. I'll be offering some consulting services to you. But I thought maybe we'd go back a little bit because I think I see what is appealing to both of us here. And it's that spirit of the 90s that Revolution OS has captured so well as a time capsule. I mean, the opening scene with Eric Raymond, his opening little monologue before they kick it off, just that sets the tone for where their head was at. There's like a boldness that the people have, like a confidence in their mission. You know, like they really believe they're here to change the world And like they're going to save it and they've got a better solution that's faster, it's cheaper, it's worldwide. In fact, I'm going to just play a short clip and tell me if this doesn't sound exactly like what the blockchain people are saying today. I had one and a half to two times the speed at a third to a fourth the price. Light bulbs went off. I knew there was an opportunity here. This was a chance to, to really do something better than what Sun has done around open source and Linux. Oh, they got the sun dig in there, too. They really they really saw a moment. And then they talk about Apache coming along. There is this absolute radical mindset about toppling the giants. You know, Microsoft, IBM, they're just easy, soft targets because what they're working on is so revolutionary. Again, it's a lot of how the Web3 and the blockchain people talk about the financial system or large aggregators of data and private information. Like this is the same kind of radical thinking and that same kind of this code is for anyone, which is something we've recently been talking about and free software being sabotaged depending on your IP or your language. And one of their specific original mandates for what is open source was the idea that the code was for anyone. There is no discrimination against people or groups. Uh, The example I usually use is you can't stop an abortion clinic or an anti-abortion activist from using the software. That's just an interesting reflection. So that's in the 90s. And today we're talking about wiping hard drives, depending on your IP and, you know, sabotaging open source and really a change from those original ideals there. But sort of some of the ideals that I think some of the Web3 crowd, for better or for worse, currently represent. The other thing that struck me about it, and then I'm curious to hear your take, is the techs, the engineers, the developers, they grokked free software and open source and the psychology behind it, the utility of it, way before the big industry influencers, the CEOs, It was like, didn't really matter until the CEOs, until the industry influencers got it. It never really went much further. And what was something we almost touched on, but we just missed the other day, is it was actually Netflix's downfall. And as they were collapsing, 
where their management team got on board with the idea of open source, that the industry saw it as a real changing point. And who was involved in making that happen in Netscape? Primarily, the person who made the actual decision was Jim Barksdale. Uh, and this turned out to be important later, that our big win, the big score that gave us mainstream visibility and credibility with investors, came not because of bottom-up evangelism from a bunch of engineers, but because one strategist at the top saw the potential power of this method and then essentially imposed that vision on everyone underneath him. When I completed the paper, I first gave a copy to Mark Andreessen, who was co-founder of Netscape and was, was at the time one of, in the senior management team at Netscape. Mark then gave a copy of the paper to several other people within Netscape management, uh, including Jim Barksdale. I'm not sure exactly when Jim and the other senior managers uh, made the actual decision. Uh, I believe it was in early January sometime. Uh, Netscape actually announced uh, that it was going to release the source code on January 22nd at the same time that they released that they were going to give Communicator away for free. When Netscape decided to release the source code, uh, people sort of got a wake-up notice and said, you know, hey, maybe there is something to this idea of releasing source code and doing development with people outside your company. Um, so Netscape's decision brought a lot of public attention to the idea of free software, what, you, what became known as open source, and brought a lot of attention to the Linux operating system, which was one of the most prominent examples of open source software at that time. So I just think that's fascinating because, again, that seems to reflect the state that Web3 in and blockchain is, technologies are in. It's like we are just now at the precipice of, of actual institutional adoption. If you go to goldmansachs.com right now, I know, weird, right? But if you go to Goldman Sachs, as we're recording, uh, which is March 28th, 2022. Goldmansachs.gov. No.com. Goldmansachs.com. If you go there, you wouldn't know it's a bank. You'd think it's a blockchain technology company. Digitalization from cryptocurrencies to the metaverse. Explore the mega trends that are reshaping economies. That is the masthead on Goldman Sachs. That is the front page of GoldmanSachs.com. You see what I'm saying about institutions are now starting to get in. I would think this is like a competitor of like PwC technology or Accenture. Like, seriously, I think they're a consulting. Wow. That's yeah. So see, for me, I mean, you says that you say it makes you sad. But for me, it's like the other thing I noted is and you noted this, too, is so many of those companies are gone. They're dead or dead. Right. Yeah. I think that's what's going to happen with crypto and Web3 is that 95 percent of all of this crap's going to die off. And there will be like three or four or five that survive. So everybody should go watch this movie. Chris and I rewatched it again today before the show. In one sense, it is very much uh, a moment, you know, a product of its time. But the idealism and just straight up, yeah, we can actually change the world like a group of five and we're going to do it. It's going to be fine. And, and they basically kind of succeeded for a while. And just the crushing blow. <laughs> And I know maybe Chris, you don't agree with me on this, but just the amazing process over the subsequent decade and a half ish of all those companies being called. Like the fact that they're talking about how IBM is stodgy and Red Hat just ends up having to sell itself to IBM, right? How many of those companies IBM ended up consuming? Microsoft doesn't understand open source, doesn't understand Linux. Microsoft is now one of the chief players in Linux kernel development and the wider ecosystem. 
IBM, we they're kind of old, they're kind of stodgy, whatever, but they're they ultimately defeated their more upstart competitors. You know, VA Linux, VA uh, Linux Systems rather, had to change its name and then sell itself to GameStop. <laughs> oh, it, then it seriously, the remnants of it became ThinkGeek, which by the way also failed. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of sun, poor sweet beautiful sun gone right and again sun was like you know they thought of sun as the big boy then cygnus right we could could just keep going well this also happens if you look at the the dot-com bubble that sort of accompanied this uh, pets.com askjeeves.com all of these websites that were going to change the world uh, are gone and only a few contenders even remain and the ones that do essentially are a black hole that suck all of the profits I think there is truth in that it is sort of sad that inevitably it seems to be successful markets sort of consolidate like this. I mean, we're watching it happen to podcasting right now. It's currently happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think as that cycle peaks, a new cycle inevitably begins. Like just as media was becoming completely consolidated by four multinational corporations, all mainstream media in the U.S., radio, TV was owned by two or three companies. Just as we hit that peak point of consolidation in the media, the Internet begins to explode and there's a wave of independent content again. And the same is happening with Web3 technology, just as we're hitting peak consolidation, peak big tech. And we may actually have just seen peak big tech, by the way, because Apple just announced they're dramatically reducing SE phone production and they're reducing AirPod production by 10 million units because of inflation and recession possibilities. So maybe as you hit these sort of peaks, you have these other revolutions start. Like humans are really good at creating horrible situations and then solving and creating solutions simultaneously. Just think of it in this way. As we are at just an institutionally bankrupt low in trust, nobody trusts the media, nobody trusts the government, nobody trusts health officials, nobody trusts their local politician, right? Trust is bankrupt. Nobody trusts CNN, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody trusts the financial system. Nobody trusts Wall Street. And then these blockchain technologies come along that are mathematically provable, that are dictated by code. And in the case of something like Bitcoin, doesn't even have a central founder behind it anymore. It is truly decentralized, math-based technology that People who don't trust each other, hostile parties, can still look at the blockchain and trust that the information in there is accurate and correct. Well, that's the whole promise of the blockchain, right? It is, in in a sense, it's the ultimate TNO technology. Exactly. And so you can have competitors, you can have hostile countries, etc., and they can have a central source of truth that is trustable by both parties because you can check the math, because the network is decentralized, because the ledger is open because every coin is accountable, right? That's just kind of a creation that got started back in 2009, kind of just at the right time as we were hitting all of these problems just after the internet had been really sort of mass adopted. And so it's sort of these cycles that come around. So as we're now seeing, and we've been talking about and, and really chewing on and discussing the, the consolidation of big tech, it even happens in Linux with like the Linux Foundation. They really kind of suck up all of the profitable technology, for better or worse. And now the next wave is starting. That's why it's so rife full of 
things that people attempt and they they end up being a total scam or they go nowhere and they blow up like it's rife with all of that stuff like early tech was only there's so much money in the system that it's supercharged damn dude did you like meditate or smoke a bowl or something you're very positive i mean i'm telling you i've been thinking about this and i've been trying to get my head around it and i do see the bad side of it but i also see a lot of positive upside and i see a a new wave of uh, possible apps and and can i darken the the clouds yeah you you don't really believe that the existing tech titans are going to like wither away and die, right? No, no, no. No. Okay. no, they're bigger than nations now. Right. I agree with you that there will be some very interesting projects, very interesting firms that come out of this. But aren't they just going to be basically, it's like the old fox hunts, right, that the British aristocracy used to do. Aren't they just going to be the little foxes that, you know, Lord Apple, Lord Google, Lord Microsoft, and even Lord Duchess IBM or whatever go after? So you're thinking about it in traditional terms. You see, you got to think about it more as like an OS and a protocol. Think of it as both TCP IP and it's Linux at the same time. So the world, when we first started networking, was just totally divided between different protocols. Uh, and major players, Apple had Apple Talk, Microsoft had NetBuoy, NetWare had um, IPX, and they were incompatible with each other. In fact, some of them couldn't even route outside a LAN. And so you could network, but you could only network as long as all your machines did Apple Talk. And TCP IP was around before some of these protocols were ever developed. And it had been adopted by institutions like universities and government, but it, that these companies didn't care. And they still created their own network protocols. But over time, as the internet became a thing, they all died. And they all had to switch to TCP IP. They all had to participate in an open network. They had to lose that moat because otherwise the cost of them would have been too great. The, you know what? It's like a situation where the dynamics of the market change. And then additionally, like Linux, blockchain, Bitcoin, depending on how you adopt it, depending on what you're using, is also a bit of an operating system, right? It's a communications protocol. It's a settlement layer. It can maintain smart contracts. It can it can assign ownership. It's a bit of an operating system layer, too, but it's an open source free one that has an SDK that has a network effect that developers are building on top of. So you've got this open network that eventually becomes too costly not to participate in. And you're starting to see this today already with things like the Strike app and the Cash app, which are theoretically competitors. But yet you can send money between those two apps because they're on the Bitcoin Lightning Network which is an open protocol like SMTP. And so just like Gmail can send emails to Hotmail or whatever, or Outlook.com. But not to Nextmail, sorry. <laughs> you can send money from Cash App to Strike App and, you know, vice versa, because they have to participate on that open network if they want to get the next wave of customers. This sounds very familiar. I agree with you, I guess. I mean, I still, I still am more on the negative side, but as a guy who sells, or licenses, I guess, a piece of software, Alice, you guys should, Seriously, if you need stuff done, let me know. That integrates a bunch of different APIs. And I heard all this stuff before about the new world is going to be like building software, uh, you know, small integrators going with little, little Lego blocks of open APIs. And it was good. But you know what happens? Eventually, the person's open a API that you're using realizes that you exist, gets mad, and that API gets less and less open even if it is technically something that is open source-ish, right? Yeah, yeah, I see that. I totally 
get the protocol level. Like I totally agree with you, right? A proprietary protocol is not gonna fly. In fact, I don't even think any of them are stupid enough to try a proprietary protocol in this day and age. It'll be an open source protocol. But they're gonna gatekeep at the network effect level, right? The network effect of the users, right? You, you, There are however many tens of millions of iPhone users. That's gonna be the gate. All right, I gotta be honest, with blockchain sounds a lot like messaging, so Google might screw it up because they're under some ancient curse that they can't do messaging right but sure it just it i don't see that they won't use their existing platform advantages to while embracing whatever open protocol ultimately the tech community comes up with just finding a way to coordinate it into okay well you know if you're in the zuckerverse that's cool we get that you're using the same protocol but we don't allow nfts which, by the way, NFT is where I see a lot of the potential, but not in the crappy way that people are pushing them today. We don't allow NFTs that weren't made in our little walled garden. So, you know, there is no universal, right? It isn't going to be like TCIP where I can send you a, a packet like right now. Hopefully your router blocks it. <laughs> but, you know, I could in theory, right? It could end up being it's an iMessage situation. Yeah, that's what it's going to be. Yeah, or it it could be more of an SMTP pop three situation. Like Gmail hasn't been able to just only do Gmail mail, right? They haven't been able to implement Gmail SMTP. They haven't been able to do that. So we'll see. I think the one thing to consider is there's going to be so much money in the network for cryptocurrencies. It's over $2 trillion right now. Bitcoin itself is going to be over a trillion dollars soon. And they are working, as you see with Goldman Sachs, the reason why Goldman Sachs is all in it's because the word is out. It's the money. <laughs> the Biden administration has issued an executive order, and the executive order sets the pace. And the pace is the U.S. is going in on crypto. Well, they'll call it digital assets. They won't call it crypto. They'll call it digital assets. They're going to go all in. And they have to, right? Because they have to tax them. I mean, uh, uh, that's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, today, the, uh, as we record, uh, a budget by Biden was released, and they're looking to raise $11 billion from capital gains tax on crypto or digital assets, as they put it. And that's part of their revenue stream now. So they're all in. And when that happens, the network effect is going to go crazy because Wall Street has a ton of money they're going to put in once this thing is regulated. That's why Goldman Sachs just changed their web page because they know what direction this is going. JP Morgan has gone from Bitcoin is a scam to we are now selling Bitcoin for large whale customers who'd like to work with us as an intermediary. Like they're now doing over-the-counter trades. It's incredible. So this is coming. There's going to be more incentive than we've ever seen, like to add a pay, pay with PayPal button. It's going to be a pay with lightning or it's going to be whatever. Who knows? I think it doesn't really matter if Amazon or others adopt it because the amount of development resources that are getting created right now is no doubt going to draw people in. Like if you go through some of the different main blockchains and you look at their developer kits, some of them have put extensive resources. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of it. Surprisingly so. I just want to say like a really nice, like most big companies don't have SDKs. This So, uh, and you think about some of the things that you're just going to inherit by using their platform. They want to make it attractive to developers because having more developers makes their blockchain more valuable. It's one of the things that will drive more value to that and make it stand out. So it's an interesting cycle. Datadog.com slash Coder Radio. Go there to get a free two-week trial and get a free Datadog t-shirt when you go to datadog.com slash Coder Radio. So, have you heard about Datadog? 
This is the king in monitoring. Datadog is a software-as-a-service monitoring and security platform, enabling full-stack observability for developers, IT operations, security, and business teams in the cloud agent more. And Datadog's platform, along with over 500 vendor-backed integrations, allow you to correlate your metrics, traces, logs, and security signals across your applications, infrastructure, and third-party services, all in a beautiful pane of glass. It's really nice. These dashboards are worth checking out because they can help you communicate. They can help you troubleshoot. And these capabilities, combined with the effectiveness of the dashboard and the machine learning-based alerts, they help your team troubleshoot and collaborate more effectively. That means you're going to prevent downtime. That means you're going to enhance performance, reliability, and communications. That's why I'm saying it really is the king. Nobody does it like Datadog, so go try it out. There's an exclusive offer for Coda Radio listeners. Go sign up for a two-week free trial at datadog.com slash coderadio. Go there, you get the trial, and you receive a free Datadog t-shirt. Happy monitoring at datadog.com slash coderadio. So, all right, let's get into some of the nuts and bolts. So tell me what you're thinking about doing here, because I think that'll influence kind of some of my advice. I totally get the cryptocurrency side of it. I'm actually less interested in that because I think, you know... It's still early days, but it's definitely not the type of big bet on something super new that I would want to take. I'm thinking more, I wouldn't call it perverting, but maybe taking a different look at how you could use blockchain technology to actually verify, hmm, let me verify this wrong word, but deal with data itself rather than having the data represent something else. So store like a small arbitrary amount of information about something or someone? being a little cagey because uh, I'm still fleshing things out. But it seems like it should be possible to get the same verification and basically TNO level trust and not like have to actually be a coin. I mean, obviously, you could like throw up a SUSE box on a on a on a Linode or in your data center as one does mm-hmm. and, you know, put Postgres on there like a gentleman and then just run this in a database like that's obviously an option. But sounds like maybe not the direction you want to go. Yeah, well, the the idea would be something much more robust and guaranteed than a database. Something more long-term, too. More long-term and portable. So this is where I have your glimmer of hope. I do think that you're part about the blockchain technologies. I'm just going to say blockchain because I don't know what the hell Web3 really means. I still can't get a straight answer. I think ultimately there is going to be some TCIP, you know, whatever kind of protocol that is, you know, it's from like the Apache Foundation or somebody like that. That is the de facto standard that everybody just conforms to, which by definition would make whatever you do, if you strictly conform to that protocol, at least at your integration levels, portable to multiple platforms. Now, I still have the concern of will the platform vendors, especially looking at the consumer space, will Apple be like a huge, uh, you know, pain in the butt and stop you? Probably, right? I mean, they'll find a way. But in general, if if you can follow an open protocol that is that the standard, right, that becomes the standard, I think kind of one of the key superpower of blockchain is going to be that it is a universal way to verify information. I think that's probably how I would put it. Okay. Did you see that in an interview, I think it was with CNBC, Tim Cook said he owns Bitcoin, calls it a reasonable allocation of his portfolio. How about that? I'm shocked. Okay. 
you know, some people said Apple would actually it'd be pretty straightforward for them to integrate something into the Apple wallet if they ever wanted to. Yeah, why not, actually? Yeah, okay, really quickly, you got you got a couple of things just probably heads up before you start looking into this, and I'm saying this to anybody who's listening to. When you look at the quote-unquote crypto industry, most of it's all bull. You have really two things to focus on to understand, I think, before you get into it. You have Bitcoin. That's a store of value. That's a digital gold. But it's not necessarily a very good applications platform. There's people working on it. Lightning is a good example of it. But it's not been Bitcoin's primary focus. Then you got Ethereum and Ethereum derivatives. Ethereum is more like a developer platform that has a currency. Um, And when you get into it, you'll understand why there's a currency, even though at first it seems weird. But a short version is it essentially enables a way to monetize the network and pay for uh, server hosting fees and all of that without having to monetize users, without having to track and spy on people. But so you have things like Ethereum that can have what they call EVMs or Ethereum virtual machines, which are essentially like JavaScript virtual machines that can execute smart contracts for you automatically on the blockchain and keep track of stuff. And I noticed in the Twitter thread, one of the ones you were looking at, Solana, Solana is really growing fast, but it also, because of that, has had issues like it was down for 17 hours in September and Solana plays some games with how it does validation to make it look like the transaction volume is faster and more than it actually is. And it's one of those things where it's heavily VC backed. And yeah, I mean, I like that they encourage people to use Rust. And all of that. But I think when you get years down the road, Solana is going to be one of those was here for a bit. It made a big splash. I think it'll get bigger and then eventually it'll it'll kind of go away. But when you're looking at like what the business world is going to look at as like a respectable technology that's not going to get labeled as scammy or, uh, you know, like a flash in the pan kind of money grab. I think Cordana or Cordano is one to look at pretty seriously. It's kind of like the professionals blockchain and they have one of the absolute best developer portals with documentation and videos and just stuff to even help you wrap your head around the terms and concepts and what you got to learn first. So they describe themselves as a collection of open source patent-free protocols, a platform that enables you to store, transform and manage value identity and governance. And one of the things that uh, Cardano has done that's, interesting is they've taken this really long-term research-based approach to every feature they've rolled out, written back by like peer-reviewed papers. And it was co-founded by one of the Ethereum founders, Charles Hoskinson, I think is his name, in, in 2015. It uses a proof-of-stake blockchain, which is considered green, which I think is all kind of BS labeling, but it's considered a green blockchain. So you don't have the stigma of environmental issues that people might mistakenly throw on there. And they have this slow but steady development cycle. They're very open about their milestones and they give frequent progress reports. And I've been watching them reliably deliver on the things that they say they're going to do. And the founder has been pretty responsive to things that have come up. And when you combine some of their developer resources pretty attractive, I think. And it's likely going to be around for a really long time. That's they have this very long term mentality approach. And I I really kind of get nervous pointing anyone from to anything but Bitcoin, because I really think Bitcoin is the only thing that's safe in this area. But if I were going to bet on another Ethereum type alternative that might deliver what you're looking for, I think it's Cardano. And uh, I'll put a bunch of resources 
in there, including their developer portal, uh, how to get integrated with it, how to use some of their transaction stuff. If there's some cute stuff in here, too, that I like about the project. Their currency for the Cordana blockchain is called ADA, which is for Ada Lovelace. And then the subdivisions are Lovelaces. Oh, cool. It's kind of cute. That's cute. The, it's got a settlement layer similar to Bitcoin. And then it's got a computation layer similar to Ethereum. So it does smart contracts. It'll help do identity management. And it has a pretty big developer community. So that would be one that I would think would probably be worth putting some effort into. It is, uh, it's written in Haskell, most of it. <laughs> so there's that. Oh. Well, <laughs> Wes, we, I need you. Yeah. yeah, I think the smart contracts are Haskell, which is probably better than JavaScript. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> That's probably better. You know, you know, it'd be even better. What? Come on. <laughs> I wanted to hear you say it. Objective-C. Yeah, of course. Of course. I thought you were going to say Swift. No, I'm kidding. No, I've been writing a lot of Swift. So if you get into this, you got to keep us updated. Because while I think it's all very early days, like in terms of applications that are shipping on this, what you mostly see are applications that just serve cryptocurrency customers. You don't really see a lot outside of this. But Cardano is the exception because they've used some of their funding to start up some operations and businesses in Africa that use the blockchain for like logistical purposes and things like that. So they do have some real world actual implementations that I think some of the other blockchains like Solana don't really have. Like Solana is really just popular because NFTs are popular right now, but they're the JPEG monkey NFTs blockchain. And there's nothing wrong with fun monkey pictures. No, no, we should have done some. You know, you had one. You could have. You could have made an NFT out of that. We really should have. Could have. I don't. I don't yeah. Should have. We still could. Should have. Should have. Could have. NFT the rope. I think ultimately, you'd be going in as an early adopter, which I know is not your. Uh, it's not your uh, sweet zone necessarily. Uh, it's not. It's a little out there, but it does appeal to that. There's really no platform owner here because Cordana is decentralized. There is a foundation based out of Switzerland. But they don't necessarily exert full control. In fact, the community in some cases has chosen to do things opposite of what the foundation wanted to do. And that's what ended up becoming the de facto standard. But the foundation obviously has influence. But I think that's actually kind of a nice compromise there where, if, you know, I suppose if the foundation really rallied, they could probably get support on their side. But it really create quite a discussion. So it, it is sort of solving that big platform problem and moving to a system that is likely going to be around potentially longer than any of us. The survivors will. But it's much like it was in Revolution OS or the dot-com bubble. Not all of these are going to remain standing. It's hard to really know who the winners are at this point. So you, that's sort of the risk you're taking. Yeah, it is early days, but I don't know. I, I feel like if you jump in now, there's opportunity to build something that could be viable. Yeah, and you'd, you'd be front-running just about everybody else, you know? So there's that aspect. That's true. It can be sometimes valuable. Oh, I'm going to be reading these docs. I'm on their developer portal now. I'm going to be reading some docs tonight. Lots of links in the show notes at coder.show slash 459er. There you go. I guess we had a Web3 episode, if you can call it that. Don't call it that, though. It's a dumb name. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. We still, yeah, Web3 still is a stupid name. Well, here's my uh, Coder Radio hot take prediction, though. You know, we, how we like to play these back a few years later. Mm -hmm. Over this next year, we're going to see a transition where crypto is going to be the brand name of like all of the shady stuff 
the cybercrime stuff and digital assets are going to be the brand name of like the industry sanctioned. And when I say industry, I mean like the banking industry, banking industry sanctioned cryptocurrencies like Ethereum and Bitcoin, probably Cardano and others like that. Those are going to be quote unquote digital assets. And then all the junk stuff is going to be crypto. And, you know, that'll be the transition we see take place. And when that transition starts to happen, I think that's your sign that they're probably creating a new market there. So there is an opportunity, possibly. Who knows? Now I don't know what we're going to do for our uh, Coderly, though, because we were going to watch Revolution OS for the Coderly, but we just got ahead of ourselves. Oh, crap. Yeah. That's all right. We'll come up with something. We'll figure something. It's a thank you we do for our members. CoderQA.co if you want to become a member, support the show, get an ad-free version, or support all the shows and get the perks for the whole network at Jupiter.party and join the party. You get access to the previous Coderlies as well. That's always in there. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send people this week? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Jumanuka. I'll go to Alice.dev. I'll send people to newpodcastapps.com. Go get a new podcast app that supports value for value and boosts. I've been using the Fountain FM. And then if you're listening to this just as the show comes out, I do have a live stream March 31st at uh, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. I think that is. I don't know. It's on the calendar, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Giving away some Bitcoin to get your podcast wallets started, doing an AMA, and I have a special guest joining me for a brief interview, and will also help you get connected to the Matrix, because decentralized chat is awesome. So all that's going on on the 31st, I will probably try to release it for download, so you can always check extras.show for that. Who knows? I know you people are busy. That's why we're just thankful you listen. We appreciate that. We also are thankful you go to our contact page. You send us your feedback, your thoughts. It's a big part of the show. And we love them boosts. Keep on boosting. And thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Coder Radio program. Join us live next Monday if you can. And links to everything we talked about, coder.show slash 459er. See you next week.